House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm your host today, Al Warren. Uh, joining me, we've got author of Summer Club, a novel. Uh, it's Catherine Dean Mazarov. Thank you for being here, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Al. Wow. So um, now this looks to me like this is, is this your first book that you've had published? Yes, it is. Okay. What made you decide that you wanted to write and write something um, that you wanted people to read, like actually get out there and publish? Well, I'll start out by saying I, saying I have two confessions. One <laughs> is I'd never planned or aspired to write a novel or a book of any kind. And when I did start writing the book, I did not initially anticipate it to be a mystery or a suspense book. Um, Like the protagonist in the book, Lydia Phillips, I am a career journalist. Um, I spent several years working for the Denver Post as a reporter and editor. I've done quite a bit of magazine writing and written for the global energy industry and so on. So I've had a career of writing. And I suppose... as since I wrote for a living and every day, the idea of, of writing a book on the side just seemed too daunting. But anyway, um, people would often ask me, have you ever considered writing a book? And my answer was, was always the same. No, I, I have no interest in doing this. Um, what changed was um, <clears throat> when I quit my job um, to stay home full time with my young son who was 10 at the time. My husband traveled a lot, so I, in my job uh, at the Post, I was an assistant city editor at the time and working crazy hours and so on. So, you know, in a newspaper, you kind of have to stay until it's done. So anyway, I decided to, I made this big decision to quit my job, and I actually left right after the Columbine shooting. So mm-hmm. it was a good time. I had already planned it, but it was a good time for me to do that. Um, the first thing I did was clean his room because the killers in that in that shooting, you know, had pretty much planned the entire event from their bedrooms, basement, and garage. So that was the first thing I did. And I didn't find any guns or bombs or anything. So um, anyway, I immersed. I suddenly was at home and leaving this adrenaline-filled wor- world of of drive-by shootings and court cases and crazy stories and started, you know, as, as a, I guess a way to fill the void, I started doing volunteer work and I volunteered for a lot of things, mostly on behalf of my son, but I did branch out a bit and eventually found myself as president of our swim club, which, um, my husband had told me, please don't do this. I did it anyway. (laughs) My thinking was, how bad can this be? I mean, you know, after being in the, you know, deadline pressure newsroom with people throwing tantrums and ego trips and so on, I mean, this is, I can hang out at the pool, work on my tan, um, and just have a great summer, play tennis. We've got somebody who runs the club, basically, so this will be, this will be fine. Well, I was, I was, couldn't have been more wrong. It made my days in the newsroom seem like child's play. And I just kept saying to myself, you can't make this stuff up. I've got to write a book. So 
I finally did write, start writing the book about eight years ago. And what inspired me at that point was I've always been fascinated by the um, sort of universal foibles of human nature and interpersonal dynamics that emerge when people are thrown together in a situation, whether it's the swim club or PTA or the HOA or some kind of volunteer board, you know, these behaviors emerge and it's power trips and politics and snarkiness and people have their own agendas and there's a lot of complaining. So I kind of viewed this as a microcosm of, a, of society, a universal um, example of what happens in these situations. So I started writing the book and it was full of all these crazy goings on that had occurred throughout the course of this one summer, one steamy, crazy summer, um, where, you know, I, it just went, I just went on and on. And I would say probably about 70% of the little stories in the book are based on, based on true events. I disguise the characters, of course, and change the specific scenarios, but, but they all occurred, you know, in connection to the club, involving people connected to the club. Mm-hmm. But as I got further into the book, I realized it wasn't enough. And I wanted, I needed, I realized I needed to introduce a, a dark element to create some tension. Um, so I started researching, you know, what could this be? Could this, could the club be a front for a drug ring or organized crime activity or something? And I, researched it and I got stuck because I couldn't find anything that would easily could easily be woven into the story. So I put it aside. I also got very busy with some other freelance work. So I, I just sort of forgot about the book for about three years, three or four years, and just didn't think about it. And then I happened to be t- talking to some, a former colleague and mentioned it to her. And she said, oh, you should pick it back up and write it. So I did. So about three and a half years ago, I I did pick the book back up, and meanwhile, I got wind of a, through a friend of ours who'd been associated with a company um, involved in a real estate investment scam, and he kind of told me the basic story. I I queried him about it, then did some, some research on real estate investment and Ponzi schemes and kind of came up with this scheme for the book and was able to then weave it into the story. Um, it's a process that took me, well, it took me um, almost exactly three years to go from that point. I'd written about a third of the book, maybe a little bit more. It took me a little, it took me about three years to finish it and involved, you know, a lot of rewriting, editing, um, and so on. And uh, by doing that, then I was able to take um, the story from simply poop in the pool to a body in the river mm. and create that element of suspense while still keeping the book sort of the funny, fun caper it was. I, I didn't want to get real graphic with the crime. The, the reader does not actually experience the murder, but a murder happens. I didn't get heavily in. I didn't get real graphic with the finding of the body and the um, forensics and so on. I just kind of wanted to keep it the tone of the book where I had started. And that's sort of how it came to be. Hmm. Um, So, again, it's my first novel. It was um, interesting transitioning from nonfiction to fiction. 
Um, I found myself at times sort of rushing through scenes, thinking I'm on deadline and I've only got so much space. And people would, my beta readers were saying, slow it down, you know, flesh these scenes out, describe the characters, go for it. So I had to pace myself. I had to learn how to pace myself to mm. allow that to happen. And these characters, so you say that it's loosely or, or it's based on true events and stuff. So the, the actual characters, how much of you or it you know how much of of you your own personal uh feelings and and who you are and what makes up you go into these characters you mean how much of it is how much it, how much comes from you like when you take a character uh and they're they're in a in a scene and they're acting and reacting to things going on to the story that you're going along how much of you yourself do you put into some of these characters um, I put quite a bit of myself into the protagonist, Lydia Phillips, um, who is a journalist, a, re a journalist turned stay-at-home mom, who immerses herself in volunteer work, and um, and so on. Um, the other characters are, uh, some are made up, some of the characters are made up. Um, others are basically amalgams of people who I, not necessarily affiliated with the swim club, but people from, you know, the neighborhood or um, the high school my son attended or other people in my life who I've come across who exhibit some of these behaviors. But I was, I tried to be very careful and, again, would maybe combine two or three characters into one. Um, hmm. You know, it's, they're, it's, it's amazing when you start looking at people and looking at these characteristics, um, it's what, who's out there. I mean, you run across these people in everyday life all the time. Oh, it's amazing. Um, yeah. You know, I, so in, I guess there's the big difference when you're doing writing about stories and nonfiction. You, you don't really get to choose the ending or you don't really get to choose where the story goes um, because it's, you're, you're telling the story that happened. Um, so when you go to fiction, um, did you find that kind of, um, I guess, rewarding? Did you like being able to take the story where you wanted it to go? Yes, I as, I as I got further into the book, I realized I felt so liberated. I could, you know, make it make the ending however I wanted and create my own dialogue and use my imagination to embellish the characters. And um, I, I liked that aspect. I, I learned that I really liked fiction writing, whereas even though I'd come from a world of nonfiction um, and spent decades doing that, I, I found fiction to be... Um, fun and uh i really got into it um so you know along the way i guess in my early years as a journalist um there were there were two trends that were emerging one in the 70s basically one was inspired by watergate and the you know pulitzer prize winning book uh, you know reporting book and so on that the Washington Post did. I mean, everybody wanted to be Woodward and Bernstein and be an investigative reporter. Right. The other trend that was emerging was what's now what's referred to as the new journalism, a, a, a term that was coined by Tom Wolfe, who, of course, wrote the right stuff, nonfiction. And it basically is, is about the 
you know, the nonfiction novel, writing true stories that read like a novel. And I'd always been um, interested in that. Um, and I think that made a big Im um, impact on journalism and reporting. I think many reporters use elements of that style in their reporting, which in a daily newspaper is not easy because you're so constrained by deadlines and space. But it's very... Um, prolific in magazine writing and then also books where you 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 basically use creative creative writing elements to report or tell the story of a real event to me the most iconic of these is in cold blood by truman capote where he spent i don't know how many thousands of hours interviewing the, the criminals of this horrific murder in Kansas back in the 50s. But, you know, he retraced their steps. He create, he recreated the whole crime. And it reads like a novel. Um, and uh, so another, another author who, who has used that element is Joe McGinnis in writing the book Fatal Vision about... Um, I think he's a captain, Dr. Jeffrey McDonald, who killed his wife and children in North Carolina and um, hired Joe McGinnis to tell his side of the story when he was in jail. And in the course of interviewing him, Joe McGinnis realized, no, you did it. So I'm going to write this book that shows you did it. And then there was a lawsuit and so on. But the book, another book that just reads like this gripping novel. And um, so that... Uh, that kind of writing has always intrigued me, and I felt like I, writing this book, I, even though this was fiction, I was able to call on that and in, in, um, kind of implement that style in, in the book. Right, right. So did you, never, did you not consider ever just doing a nonfiction, like taking a real story that you had dealt with and developing a book or a novel around that? You know, I have not. I know lots of journalists who have done that. And, of course, you've done that um, many times <laughs> yeah. in your books. Uh, yeah. I mean, it always makes for good um, copy, good books, because people, I think, love to read about crimes, and they love mysteries and suspense. And it's a great genre for that kind of um writing. I think people are very motivated to write it, and I think they know people like want to read it. Um, people want to read stories about what motivates people to commit terrible things. And um, But no, I have never actually done that. I, I sort of jumped from not, not wanting to write a book, fiction or nonfiction, to suddenly this fiction book, but it was, it was inspired by, um, it, it, this was not a fantasy book. Um, I, I almost could have made Sort of, it's sort of two books coming together. The, the story, the stories about the swim club, I could have written as nonfiction, made it an expose, but I didn't. So I in, disguised the characters and made up some of the characters and events. Um, well, there, it, you know, I, I will say when you write a story about an event that happened um, that's still current or people are still alive around it. Um, it does put a responsibility on you, and it makes you feel a lot of stress uh, during and after the time because mm -hmm. everyone involved reads it, and you have to hope everyone is happy, and that's a really tough thing to do. 
<laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> you know, but so why didn't you? Why didn't you make it uh, nonfiction? Like, why didn't you just go on out there and do do the do it as a nonfiction true story? Well, I I didn't want to make it an expose. I didn't want to expose what what were in many cases really bad behaviors by people. <laughs> um. And so, you know, I just, but I felt like I had enough to go on to make it a fiction book, and I could combine, you know, could disguise the characters. And I think there's enough, and as I said, there's, I, I use aspects of, of characters from other parts of my life, because, again, these are universal behaviors. You see this kind of stuff emerging in so many situations of people, um, you know, these, the politics, the backstabbing, uh, everything. It's just, um, um, and I'm finding that people who have been in, who've been involved in those kinds of activities can relate to it. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's in, it's in almost every part of society, really. Um, yeah. You just kind of have to look and go into that part and you, you start to realize that it crops up everywhere. Um, yes. How do you how do you choose like which which kind of storylines you want to run, like um, in a book like this? Um, and I mean, like, okay, so there's the body itself, and you've got a few things, but how do you know, wh- like, what is good for you to put out, like, and, and which kind of little thing happens throughout the book? Well, I, you know, some of it. As I said, about 70% of the events really did happen, so I called on those. Um, I guess I wanted to, for example, there's there's one character who consistently cheats on the tennis court. And this is common when you get into league tennis, it's the cheating. <laughs> and so that was an easy one um, because I knew people could relate to it. People who had played tennis could relate, and they have. I mean, we've all experienced that. Um, the neurotic swim team mom, you know, with multiple stopwatches and arguing with the timers and the judges and so on, that's pretty universal. I mean, I, I, these characters, it was easy for me to come up with the scenarios because it was a swim and tennis club, so obviously wanted to include things about tennis, things about swimming, but also the, the drunken soirees, parties, and um, the... This happened to be a very sort of derelict, run-down, um, dysfunctional facility. It was uh, sort of an eyesore in the neighborhood that it had been experienced hard times in the past, and uh, it uh, so and it had an aging boiler, so it had a lot of problems, and it had had a sort of a revolving door of club managers who'd been micromanaged by board members who would go into the boiler room with their six packs and try to fiddle with it. And so it, it, it provided, and that really was kind of the way the club was in real life. It is no longer that way now, but um, that provided a great backdrop for, um, you know, the scene, the setting. This, this was not a posh place. It was kind of a dump. But in every summer, these from Memorial Day to Labor Day, these people would come together and play tennis and watch their kids swim and party and so on, and then it's over at Labor Day. And so um, 
you know, there was enough, there was enough to go on that really happened that got me started. And then from there, I fiddled with the characters and exaggerated some of the events or changed some of the events um, to, to basically fictionalize the book. Um, hmm. Do you have a, did you have a, um, a subtext or do you have some sort of a, you know, if someone picks up your book, someone picks up Summer Club and they read it, at the end of the book, besides the, you know, the murder and the, 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 the basic story itself, is there something you wanted people to get out of the book? Well, I wanted people to um, read and enjoy the book. I tried to make it fun and funny and uh, sort of a light summer beach read. I mean, I, I think books need to do at least one of three things. They need to entertain. They need to resonate with people or they need to enlighten or educate people. I don't know that books, a book necessarily needs to do all of those things, but it certainly needs to do at least one of those things. Um, I wanted my book to entertain people, and I wanted it to resonate with people. I wanted people to read my book and say, I know that person. I've been in that situation, you know, and laugh. I wanted people to laugh and um, recognize aspects from their own lives that um, were happening in the, in the story. Hmm. So now that you've written the book and it's out, um, how do you like writing, like compared to doing nonfiction? Um, would you ever go back to being a reporter or doing nonfiction, or, or is this kind of where you're going to head now? I probably would head more in this direction, um, Versus nonfiction, um, I, I'm considering a, a, a second book, but I haven't quite worked it out yet. Um, it may be sort of a sequel in, in that Lydia Phillips, the protagonist, may, may come back. Um, I have always loved the process of writing, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. I, as I got more into this book, I really enjoyed the fiction aspects of it based on what I said earlier, which was that you know, I could use my imagination and I could make, make up dialogue and make up my own ending, and I, that freedom to do that was wonderful. But I've always enjoyed the process of writing. Um, most of my career as a writer, at least from the newspaper, has been as a features writer versus hard news. I have written hard news, covered cops and courts and so on, but I spend a lot of time in the features section, which allows a little bit more leeway in terms of your writing style. Um, allows you to incorporate more creativity. Um, you're not just reporting, you know, a man was shot last, shot Tuesday night and a drive-by shooting, blah, blah, blah. It was, you can, you have a little more room to be creative. And I have always enjoyed the process. I started writing when I was 18 years old on my college newspaper staff. And so I've done it for a long time. Um, I, I like the process of figuring out how to put it all together. I've always kind of viewed writing as a construction project where you have to sort of figure out what's the story, how, how do I design this story, Where's it, what's it about, where's it going, what's the angle, and then write it. I think a huge part of writing is organization um, and 
so organizing it such and then making it all fit together with the right transitions and so on. Um, I've always loved that process. I, I, I guess I'm a problem solver by nature, and I think it's you're, you're solving problem when, when you write something. It's a, it's a it's a process, and I think it's a craft. Um, more almost more, I think writers, not yes more so than being artists or creative individuals. It, there is certainly creativity involved, but because you have to have the idea. Or you have to, if, you, if, if it's a story that's presented to you, um, then you have to write it in such a way that people are going to read it and people are going to be interested in it. And um, so I, I think that's, in that way, I think it's a craft. And you're constantly, writers, I think, are constantly honing their craft and um, <clears throat> trying to be better. Mm. And it's... I, I mean, I, I still looking at a blank page is the worst part of the process. Starting out, as I'm sure you can relate to, uh, where do I start? And yeah. um, I think every writer faces that. I, I've done this for many, many years. I still face that. I don't panic though because I know I can do it. Ultimately, I, I will because I've done it so many times. I've always been able to start the story and. Um, when do you feel confident enough that that it's ready to publish? But so when you're you know you're looking at the page and you're slowly working your way through and stuff, and even when you know because you've done a lot of stories, of course a lot of it was dated because you're working for a, a place that requires it at a time. But um, there must be a certain point when you go, yeah, this is it. Well, that's interesting. You know, I thought <clears throat> I finished my first draft in February of 2019, and I thought, okay, I'm done. So I had some beta readers look at it, and then I read through it again, and I realized, and I, uh, I actually went ahead and submitted it to a, my publisher. And um, as I went through it again, I, and then they sent back a proof, and I went through it again, I thought, this is not done. This is not done. Not only were there some... There were some mistakes. I thought I, you know, again, right. going through it over and over, correcting things. But I started doing rewriting on it. And then that even led to more, you know, typos and things like that. So finally, my publisher said, just resubmit the manuscript. So I spent the next year basically rewriting this, going over it and over it, having people read it over and over again. And... Finally, in last summer, I thought, okay, this is as good as it's going to get. So um, I, I just went ahead and did it, um, which you have to, as I'm sure you know, you, have, you reach that point where you've got to let it go. You can't hang on to it forever and try to keep making it more and more perfect. Um, and I guess my newspaper experience helped with that because in a newspaper, you have to let the story go at a certain time. You can't hang on to it for another week or two it's due and you have to turn it in and um that's just the way it is so you know I, I but I did really massage this and go back over it and over it and um you know I feel I don't I I, I don't re have any regrets at this point I don't think it, I can't think of anything that I should have put in or wished I'd put in um 
I think I just uh, was ready. It was time to, for me to let it go. Yeah. It's like a child. Yeah. Well, of course. Start at rating. You said you were quite young, you know, in school. Um, did that come natural for you then? Were you just a natural writer? I think I was to some degree. I, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it, and that's a big part of it. If you like writing, then you're going to be better at it than you are at other things. Um, but I think I was good, I was good at writing. Um, I had never really done much in high school in terms of being on the student newspaper or the yearbook or anything like that. But once I got to college, I just um, joined the staff and ultimately became editor of the paper in college and then started out on some small daily newspapers in Southern California. Mm. So, so, so Lydia Phillips, who's one of your, your main characters, yes. um, who, who is Lydia? Lydia is a very sort of type A driven individual. She's had a very successful newspaper career as a reporter and an editor. Um, she has, uh, she has twins and, um, reaches a point where she, she works for a newspaper that unfortunately, like it's happened with many newspapers in, in these days is, uh, paper has fallen sort of on hard times. They get bought out by a private equity firm. They start doing layoffs. It's, they don't have, they, you know, it's, it's shrinking in size. So she decides I'm going to quit and I'm going to stay home with my four-year-old kids and rear them and be a full-time mom. And she, you know, does that and is happy to do that, but finds herself bored. Uh, she's had this, you know, very intense newspaper career where she's, you know, covered crime and chased down, you know, followed the, followed the cops and done all this work. And now she's home and she's, she's not exactly June Cleaver. She doesn't want to stay home and bake cookies and garden and be the perfect mom. So she immerses herself in volunteer work you know, ostensibly on behalf of her children, and then expands her horizons from there and just starts getting involved in all these organizations. And she's very diligent, and unlike many volunteers, she treats the, her volunteer jobs, her volunteer work as a, as a real job. So people are constantly elevating her to leadership positions and so on. And this starts to annoy her husband, Bill, who says, you know, by now, our kids are teenagers, and he's saying, you know, we, you need to get a job. The kids are going to be in college in four years, and we could use the money. You're spending all this time doing volunteer work. So then when she takes over this present job at the swim club, he really goes ballistic, and that causes problems. But it kind of, I think, resonates with women who have faced that, who have chosen to leave their careers to stay home, and the frustrations and challenges they face in doing that. and. I think it, um, for women trying to balance work and, and family, it's very difficult. And um, you find if you try to do both, you can't do both very well. It's just hard. So um, these are the issues that a lot of women face. So, so that's who Lydia is. And so she's taken on this presidency at the swim club. And, of course, like all of her other volunteer work, she's 
you know, working all winter long to get the club ready. She's on the phone all the time. She's doing all these, has great, great ideas to make things better. And she is, um, and so then, of course, the summer starts, the club opens, and things are not how she had hoped. It's not perfect. People are whining and complaining. There's problems. Um, it's just very frustrating for her. But again, she's, this is an all, it's an all-consuming situation. And she's in the course of doing this, she, of course, has ruined the family's summer because she spends all of her time dealing with the club and they can't take a vacation. And, you know, her husband happens to be a great cook. And so he handles the cooking. But she really starts, as the story unfolds, and, you know, she's dealing with all these problems. And then the mystery starts to emerge, you know, the, the dark sinister events and bizarre happenings start to emerge and she gets caught up in that and you know her inst her journalistic instincts take over and she cannot stop herself from pursuing and figuring out the 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 case. She doesn't completely solve the case, but she sort of stays one step ahead of the police. And uh and of course she's still um one of the characters that comes in is the cop reporter of the newspaper who's also working the case because now this story has come out that, you know, that there's media coverage of it. And so, but she's doing her own digging and her own investigative reporting, using her skills to track down what happened with the case. So, um, and as the more she falls into that, then of course she continually neglects her kids that they're good kids, but she forgets to go to the grocery store. She lies to her husband of what she's doing. She goes behind his back because he's telling her to lay, you know, back off. And so she's facing that struggle of, you know, and I think one of the questions that emerges is, is Lydia a good wife and mother? Um, or does she so self, is she just self-absorbed in this need to solve the crime? And so... Uh, anyway, hmm. and as the book goes on, it starts out more on the side of, you know, the sh crazy shenanigans and absurdities that happen at the club, and then arcs, and toward the end of the book, it's more about this sinister real estate scam that takes over. That sounds like a pretty interesting book, you know. You could turn her into a detective in book two, and she leaves yes. her husband and... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. Rops the kids and yeah, yeah, the kids are in college now. They're gone now. Yeah. She really doesn't have anything to do. Yeah. Um, and her her most steadfast companion in this is the dog, Stacy, who is a very spoiled, entitled rescue dog. Who, um, but you know, she's always there for Lydia. Um, while Bill, her husband's. Un complaining about what she's doing and the kids are kind of doing their thing the dog is with her every step of the way and uh, I'm, I'm a dog person and <laughs> the dog is actually um a, we have had three family dogs stanley gracie and stella and the dog stacy is a, sort of used to, incorporates all of their names and sort of an amalgam of all three dogs all spoiled um entitled demanding rescue dogs so, um, hmm. so how do you, um, it sounds like you put a lot of yourself into the character as well, right? I did. And so being that you do, um, 
does that kind of worry you a little bit or do you, do you feel, um, you know, because of the social media world and, and everyone's got an opinion and you put it, you can put the book out and it's got parts of you in it, but then people can say bad things about it and therefore it kind of relates to you. Does this sort of, does this being, especially with your first book, this must be a whole new thing for you in that way. Um, so does that kind of make you feel a little bit vulnerable? It does. I mean, I do feel sometimes very vulnerable. Um, I mean, the, the character is, I mean, there are aspects of the character, Lydia, who are not like me. I don't have twins. I'm not blonde. Right. You know, things like that. But people have asked me, so they know, many people know that I, much about the character is, is myself. But that feeling of vulnerability is something I've never experienced. I mean, I've, as someone who's had my byline on many stories, I mean, I've done thousands of interviews and, you know, I, I've never felt this, I guess the word is naked. I'm right. ex- I feel like I'm exposing myself. Yeah. Exposing myself and the story and people are judging me and um, critiquing me and I've never experienced that, um, you know, having it out there. And so I've, I've had to learn how to um, kind of deal with that and yeah. separate well, myself. Yeah, and definitely as you go onward in, in writing, I would say do not focus on that. Because when, if, no. if, if you do focus on it or some, if something does bother you like that, it takes, takes your mind away from what you're doing, you know. Your, yes, you know, your intention right. changes, and then all of a sudden you feel because you you don't want to focus on on the noise. You want to focus on what you want to do. The story has to be good for you, good for your your fans later, and and all that. You just sort of do what you do, and you know, um, it's 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 a difficult thing to get through. But yes, um, but <laughs> but if you keep your focus, if you keep it, your eye on the carrot, so to speak, keep it on that what you want to to accomplish, um, it'll be fine because uh, there's always going to be people that don't like you. Um, but that being said, is there anything that you'd look back at now in this book and you go, well, I would do that differently? Um, well, I'm not an outliner. Right. I, I've never liked outlines. And, of course, as a journalist, you don't really have time to necessarily do an outline. Um, I did do a very rudimentary outline. Um, which was somewhat helpful, but, you know, I, I know of authors who do these very detailed, uh, you know, 40, 50-page outlines, and I can't imagine doing that, but I think if you do that, I think it probably would have made it um, easier for me in the writing. I probably would not have had to resubmit my manuscript, maybe, mm. so I would have thought about it more if I'd thought about all these elements doing an outline, I might have been able to um, write the book better, been more organized about that, efficient, um, knew more where I was going, really thought more about what I wanted to include uh, before I finished it. So I, I think I would be more um, diligent and deliberate about planning the book um i've heard i heard an author say once that um before you sit down before you write or think before you write um don't start writing if you haven't figured out the ending 
And don't start writing if you don't know where the book is going. You, you really need to know. And I, I basically knew where the book was going. I mean, I had a, the idea, but I, I kind of winged it in a way. I started writing, like was what I'm used to doing, just start writing. And I think I would definitely do it differently next time. I would be much more diligent about thinking ahead of time, planning it, going through, making a more, forcing myself to do a more detailed outline uh, so that I knew more where I was going and what I really wanted to, to include in the book, um, mm -hmm. rather than deciding at the last minute, oh, you know, that's a, that should include that. That's a good idea. Yeah. And then having to figure out where to incorporate it and, you know, coming up with a scenario and, dialogue and things like that so that's definitely one thing i would do differently um yeah, that's interesting what do you what do you think about um journalism that you had the years in there and so you've come from it and you look back at it now uh, what do you think of uh, of the journalism in in the current climate as it is as we speak right now well i was i feel fortunate that i worked in journalism at a time when journalism was still, when newspapers were still very relevant and very much a part of the community. Um, it was fun. It was, you know, reporters are wacky people in and of themselves often, char great characters. Um, I think what's really sad about journalism today is the loss of the community newspaper, the local newspaper. We are becoming a society that is... Um, well, as far as newspapers goes, it's the New York Times, the Washington Post, the big papers that have are sort of dominating. Occasionally, there may be a small little community newspaper, but they're not really they're reporting strictly on very local news, you know, society news or maybe school district and so on. And they're not they're not doing investigative reporting. They're not really doing any digging. Um, then, of course, I think. Social media has had a huge impact on journalism, which I think is, you know, it's maybe it's good in many ways, but not good in other ways. Um, I think with the, even when I was working at the paper and the Internet was really emerging as such a powerful force in our lives, it became very apparent that anybody can put anything on the Internet, and it doesn't necessarily have to be true. I think you see this happening. Whereas the newspaper was always sort of the trusted local news. And um, even if the editorial page didn't reflect your views, the, the stories, at least in my experience, the stories um, were reported fairly. I mean, when I was working on the city desk as an assistant city editor, we always made a point, if it was a controversial story, of getting both viewpoints above the fold early on in the story so that uh, every you had the reader had the opportunity to see that there were both sides of the story. So when I hear these these things of fake news and so on, I, I just, it, it pains me to hear that because these are from people who've never been in a newsroom and have never really experienced the process of putting a story together and covering a controversial or um, high-profile uh, case where, you know, you have to have sources, and I know that it used to be that if we if we did not have named sources, we had to have, and the sources were anonymous, there had to be at least three of them before we would print it. And there were many times when um, we didn't have three sources, and we couldn't print the story. 
So, so, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that it's come to where it is. I mean, the Denver Post is a shadow of itself now. It's very small, and there just is not the opportunity to really do in-depth reporting on stories that are important to people, that matter, um, that right. affect their everyday lives. And um, I know when I was at the paper, we would have – budget meetings every afternoon where we would talk about, okay, what are we putting in this paper today? And oftentimes it would, we would ask the so what question. Why are people going to read this? Why is this important? And um, I think and it's a, we're missing that now. Um, everything is, you know, you can go to Twitter now and people can say whatever they want about anything. And um, sometimes it's based on facts and reality and sometimes it's really not, and it's it's you, you don't get the opportunity to read a story it's like you used to. Right. So it's no, it's, yeah, no responsibility to it either. Someone no, can, none. You can yeah. you can call yourself anything and put yourself on there and say anything, really. You know. Right. And you're not held accountable. Whereas if you're an organized news place, you're held accountable. You can be sued. Um, you know. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I had a boss, my, one of the first papers I worked for, my boss said, we publish our mistakes, meaning we can't hide. We can't, you know, if we make a mistake, we publish it, we own it. We have to write a retraction or a correction. We're out there and uh, we're accountable. And that lack of accountability is, is really unfortunate, I think. It's, it's, I think it's causing a lot of divisiveness and misinformation in our society unfortunately yeah yeah it's too bad um now do you have a website of your own that people can find you at or if they want to send you some stories or talk give you a message or anything do you have that yes i do it's it's uh katherine dean nazarov.com so my name my author name dot com well, that's easy. We'll have that up on our website as well. People Great, listening can do one click and find you, and it'll be all, all done. Um, how did you have any issues with the the COVID and stuff? Does that affect you when you write? No, it did not. I had started the book long before COVID, and actually, um, with COVID, I sort of didn't have anything else to do, so I focused on the book quite a bit um, over the past year, uh, and. Uh, as far as the actual writing of the book, it did not affect me. As far as being able to get into local bookstores and things like that, that's been challenging, as it has for all authors. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, just, you know, that's just the way it is. Yes, you're <laughs> right. Not, so. You know, not a lot you can do, you know. And uh, But I just, you know, but you, um, I ask this of a lot of authors, do you, you know, when there's a dark period, like, so things are going on. You've got, you know, the, the COVID, a lot of people dying. You've got anti-maskers. You've got all this stuff going on, you know, Jewish laser beams, uh, yeah. <laughs> presidential right. election, everything's going crazy. Yeah. But with all that going on around you, though you are inside your house and stuff, do, do, does that seep into your writing, do you think? Do you think you kind of would get darker? Or and some people also, they go lighter because outside is kind of, you know, a little bit turmoil going on, so they kind of write funny or lighter stuff. Does it, that's kind of like, does it have that kind of an effect on your writing either way? It has not. It did not with this book. But, of course, I had, by the time the pandemic hit, I was, the book was, 
pretty much well done. on its way. I had written the book, and I was in more of an editing, rewriting phase, and I was I was pretty focused on it. And I, I think the fact that my book has nothing to do with it, with the pen, it had nothing to do, of course, with, with the pandemic, but right. it was not really. It, there were a couple of places in the book that kind of address current events. Um, there's a character who's clearly a bad guy and he's very racist and he's very, and he throws this red meat out on the table occasionally. Um, <laughs> is what I call it. But beyond that, no, it did not. As far as this book um, goes, it did not. Now, if I were to start a book right now, or had I started a book last year, I, it might've been different. I might've been too distracted by what was going on to really focus and, um, I mean, I think I would have definitely, I would want to write a book that was light, which this book, I, I generally view this book as a sort of a light, fun, funny read. Um, it's an escape book. Um, it's, you, it, it, it takes you kind of away from all this for the most part. But, yeah, to start a book right now, or, or as I said in the past year, I think might have been more challenging because... I might have just been too, you know, distracted by what was happening, not just with the pandemic, but everything else that's going on, all the other, the election, you know, yeah. everything. Well, people get emotional, right? And you you see a lot of fighting and a lot of upset, and it can affect your own personal mood. So then when you're writing in that kind of a mood, I just, a lot of writers have said that it completely shut them down, and others, uh, it it didn't. It actually turned them on, so to speak. It they they went gangbusters. So, if I've seen both effects, it just I, I don't know. I guess it just depends on the the person themselves and their. Yeah, you know. I think it does. It's an interesting point, though. I mean, I I can see how that would happen, um, depending on what kind of book you're writing, and your personality. I mean, I think the fact that I've written pretty much, you know, all, my entire career has been writing. So I'm used to being very disciplined that way and sort of being able to focus on it. Um, I mean, I, I, and I, like many, most writers, I'm sure, I, I would only write maybe a few hours every day um, rather than trying to sit at my computer all day and do it. And I, um, but, yeah, I think... Definitely, I think outside events, what's going on around you, definitely can in, influences all of us. And I can, as I said, if I weren't had not been so far along in the process of my book, it might well have affected me. It might have motivated me and spurred me on, like you say, or it might have shut me down. I, I don't know. It's mm. an interesting question. We'll see on your next book. Yeah, well, I'll see on your <laughs> next book. Yeah, you'll see. You know, because that, that, when you're writing uh, in a current of affair or current event, current time, I should say, really, um, a story, um, like when you sit down to write a sequel to this book, for instance, and how could you not have things going on in the world in it? You know what I mean? Like, I guess you could. You just could have totally ignore it. Yeah, um, I, I think from what I, my sense tells me that people don't want to read a book that has a pandemic in it. Right <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, that's interesting because I've always kind of thought in the back of my mind I would write another book along the same lines, and a lot of people have asked me if and when I'm going to write my next book, and I'm not ready yet. I'm not 
at a place where I want to start doing it. And maybe that's because I am being impacted by what's going on. So many things to deal with. And I just am not in a mindset to do that right now. I just, I, I you know, that's an interesting point. I, I had never really thought about that, but that maybe that's the reason. I'm just not in a frame of mind where I can sit down and focus on writing another book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important. I think it cause, is because the frame of mind has to have, you have to be in that right zone. Cause the, the one thing I've found about writing books as compared to writing for a, a newspaper article would be, um, um, you, it, it has to just, you can't just turn it on. You can't just go, okay, I'm free to write between three and five today. So, you know, and sit down right. and do it. Cause sometimes it just doesn't work. Whereas if you're writing a story for something, you kind of get the facts. You can kind of force yourself through it. Um, anyway, but that's. Just... I think you're very right about that. I, you're absolutely. That's true. And I, I think, yeah, writing a little short story or a couple page story is a whole different thing than writing, you know, a book or a right. lengthy magazine article where you don't have a deadline. Um, yeah. Yeah. You have to be motivated. You have to feel the need. You have to want to tell the story. And so um, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's a really interesting point, though. Well, um, we'll, we'll look forward on your next book. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, we've been talking about the book Summer Club, a novel, and we've had the author uh, as our guest, uh, Catherine Dean Maserov. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Al. I enjoyed talking to you. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. <laughs>